Oxford University Press provides a wide range of resources so that you have everything you need to support your teaching of geography. Student books and digital resources on Caboodle blend expertly, helping you to create a coherent curriculum and connect learning in school and at home. Accessible and exciting courses range from Key Stage 3 through to A-Level and include schemes of work and built-in assessment to save you time. Meanwhile, our best-selling revision guides and workbooks support students to consolidate learning throughout the year. Visit www.oxfordsecondary.com forward slash geography to find out more. Hello and welcome to JobPod. Today it's my great pleasure to be joined by Tom Heinitz, hot foot from Outwood Grange Academy. I, I'm really surprised, Tom, that you've managed to fit this in on today of all days. People who are listening to this won't realise that this is lockdown day because they'll be listening to it in the middle of November. But it's a nightmare. So thanks very much for joining us today. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure, John, and, and thank you for having me. I've been, been you know, a long time listener. Uh, and dare a first time guest on the podcast so there you go I'm really looking forward to it <laughs> excellent that's what I like to hear um I saw your blog post on we're in beta now this was a little while ago because you talked about it being the strangest September you've ever had but blimey it's continued being the strangest October and now we're into what could be an even stranger November Part of the post was around your thoughts and reflections on teaching COVID style and I'd like to get onto that later on but one of the things that you said there was this academic year saw you step up from middle leadership into senior leadership so congratulations is in order I think that's brilliant so congratulations for that and one of the things I'd like just to explore first is a bit about about you what got you into teaching and the journey that you've taken to become a senior leader because there are certain decisions you have to make there to leave part of the geography behind and have a wider remit so what got you into it in the first place um oh it's a, it's a great question um and i think it's one that i try and reflect on regularly to remind me really of my, of my purpose um so uh i left university in uh, 2012 i left the university of southampton um and my uh then girlfriend now wife uh, lucy uh, had taken had moved to sheffield to begin studying the masters um so I thought, well, I've got nowhere else to be. I'll, I'll jump, jump on, move everything from down south and up, and up north I came, which is how we came to, to Sheffield. Um, and kind of classic sort of after leaving uni, didn't really know what I wanted to do, kind of bombing around a bit. And I thought, oh, you know what, te- teach, that'd be all right. And, and I came across Teach First, so potentially controversial um, route into teaching. Uh, and I joined up through Teach First and I kind of, and I very much had the plan that I would do my two years in the classroom um, and then I'd kind of be like, well, you know, like, no doubt there'll be something else which takes my fancy and, and kind of I'll go somewhere else and look elsewhere. Um, teaching will be great for a little bit and, I, and I'll go off elsewhere. And, you know, it's kind of like almost love at first sight with kind of the idea of teaching. And, and a couple of weeks into my first ever September in 2013, I was I was exhausted. I was hopelessly tired. <laughs> my, my to do list was, was longer than anything I've ever seen. And I just couldn't imagine I couldn't see myself anywhere else. Um, and teaching had always kind of bubbled around my mind as an idea. Um, I was very, very fortunate as a, as, a, as a student myself. I had the most wonderful geography teacher 
um, if I couldn't come on JogPod and talk about Marilyn Summers, then I'd be doing her a disservice. So, so <laughs> Marilyn Summers, my geography teacher from year seven to year 13, she was just an absolute, just, just titan of geographical knowledge and, and, and understanding. And she'd never, if she was here now, she'd shout me down and tell me to stop saying these things. But, you know, just, just one of those, just would, you'd walk into the classroom, she would, she'd, open her kind of notebook and she would talk and you would just absorb and listen and learn. And, you know, she completely transformed the way that I saw the world, kind of a, you know, a kid from a, from a council estate and just kind of school was always a bit like, well, it's what we got to do in it. Cause people like us just go to school and, and she transformed my life. And, and I regularly reflect on, you know, that, that kind of the most humble superpower you could ever have to be a teacher in many ways. So yeah, I think that kind of that little potted history there gives you a bit of a flavour of my kind of my passion and, and, and why I've come into the role, you know, why I wanted to be a teacher. I'm still in touch with my geography teacher, Andrew oh, Fox. Wonderful. And we still we still write to each other, usually at Christmas with a few photographs and compare tracks that we've been on. And <laughs> I, I don't know how old he is now, but um, I'm not going to tell you how old I am, but he's still knocking on and he's still doing trekking and he's still the most enthusiastic, so... I think there's a lot to be said for a, a good geography teacher. Yeah, there's a power to it, isn't there? And, and uh, that's just that's lovely to hear, you know, that you've, you've kept that contact. That's brilliant. When I first started the Geographical Association, it was really quite depressing. I'd, I'd, I got as far as you did, and I was a senior leader, and I didn't want to go any further really into that. I wanted to get back into geography. But it was just at the start of the action plan for geography. So it was 2006, and I think geography was at its lowest point from about 2004, 2005. Ofsted had said it was the worst taught of any subject in primary. And they said that at key stage three, pupils were neglected. Curriculum was out of date. And that was why the funding came for the Geographical Association and the, the, um, the RGS to work together to put a framework for what modern geography should look like. And one of the things that we asked about was, why should we teach geography? In fact, later on, Gove was minded to not have it in the national curriculum. And it, that was the second iteration. It had also been considered for not to be put part of the, the uh, national curriculum earlier. So I think what I, want, what I want to ask you is, why do you see geography as a key subject? What does it bring? Um, now, you said we only got 45 minutes, so I'll, I'll try and keep my answer brief for you. Um, no, si simply, I just think of, of geography, there is no subject in the curriculum that does what we do. There is no subject in, in, the, in the curriculum, as we understand it, that covers the, the, the breadth of themes, ideas, that branches so many disciplines that, that geography does. And in many ways, that great diversity can also be geography's great doing and and actually you know kind of I reflect on a subject quite frequently and I often think that sometimes perhaps geography is too broad for its own good um, and actually we've kind of and I understand we're going to kind of pick up a little bit on curriculum and those themes and um, kind of talk about how we've kind of approached kind of managing that that enormous breadth but I just think that geography at the very heart of good geography is, is a concept of place a concept of, of space concepts of the physical world the way that humans interact with the physical world nothing explores that relationship in such a in just quite simply a human way 
you know, I, I, I'm quite privileged in my role at the moment that I get to, to spend my time bobbing around school and, and, and seeing lots of wonderful lessons and spend lots of time in the science department, history department. And these are incredible subjects, but I always step away and just think, well, geography do that, but we just do it a bit better. You know what I mean? Like we, we put the people back in the heart of the process and we really think and, and, and we tell the story of the world around us. And, and if you're good at geography, you, you can read and understand anything that you ever come across. And I, I just think it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a bit of a cliche, but we are teaching our kids a bit of a superpower if they're, if they're effective geographers. So yeah, I just, I just think that, that, that idea of kind of powerful geographical knowledge, understanding the way the world is and why it is this way and, and how it will change. And geography just gives, gives students access to that absolute wealth of knowledge. And of course, as, as I've in, you know, touched on there, that that can be a can be a bit of a burden, and and, and as you referred to there, two thousand and four, two thousand and six, bit of an ugly time in many ways for geography teaching. But I feel like you know the last sort of fifteen years has seen us, and 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 particularly it feels like for me in my career, the last five years we've really kind of got our heads down, and and there's some really very impressive geography, and the the dialogue and the discourse around the subject is is very very powerful, and impressive at the moment. So, yeah, geography helps us understand the world that we live in, and that's you know, that's magic right now. It is interesting that this, this is a quote from David Lambert, but he talks about there's a lack of international legibility about what geography actually is. Uh, I, I think we've got a handle on it, but uh, there are there are a number of countries that just wouldn't recognise geography within their curriculum. And and that's, I, I, I agree with you, that's a weakness. That's a weakness of of young people not being able to understand their place in the world. If they haven't got that, that, that roots the geography within themselves and how they see the world. I, I keep going back to the, the recommendations of the Nuffield Review. I thought it was the biggest review of education, the 2009 Nuffield Review, and that they just asked one big question, what counts as an educated 19-year-old in this day and age? When I first read it, I was thinking, there's got to be some geography in here, there's going to be some geography, and there wasn't no geography, but then there wasn't any English either. And there wasn't any maths. It was about, they, they talked about knowledge and understanding, but they, their bullet point was the knowledge and understanding required for the intelligent management of life, how to make decisions for the future in the light of changing economic and social conditions. I think, I think you're, you alluded to that, that geography is the place where we do that sort of decision-making with students so that they can make those decisions I'm going to use another of David's phrases with confidence and certainty that with with the, all the information that they've got, they're making the best decision that they possibly can. Absolutely. Um, just to jump in there, I mean, what what a phrase, the, the question, what is an educated 19 year old in this day and age? And I mean, for, for like, wow, you, you could you could have hours of discussion, couldn't you? And and I scribbled it. I've just scribbled it down in my own notes. And I'm going to go to my head teacher tomorrow and at SLT, and I'm going to chuck it on the table and be like, "Well, come on then. What's what's the answer to that?" And you know, that that's yeah, that's very very powerful. What a takeaway. Well, I know you've been thinking about your curriculum a lot, and uh, what underpins it is this it's the same idea as we've got about a shared understanding. I think about what geography is doing for young people, but. You've had an interesting take because you've looked at developing a seven year plan for your curriculum rather than looking at a key stage three and a key stage four and all the arguments that they've been over whether it should be a key stage two year key stage three and whether you can get away with a three year key stage four. You've developed 
a much more holistic view. So what were your drivers for that? What, what underpinned your thinking in the first place? And what are you hoping to achieve with it as you go on? So to kind of like just kind of build on what you said there, yeah, we, we very much kind of we fully appreciate that at the end of year 11 at 16 students will get you know an exam will pop up and they'll have to do it and, and that's absolutely fine the same thing happens at 18 so last year I was the head of geography at my current school and, and, and this year I've moved into a slightly new role um, but it was kind of having come from a school where I'd worked for quite a long time previous and, and come into a new school it was almost a it was a great challenge in, in in very many ways but in many other ways I thought well I've kind of got a bit of a bit of a clean slate of a curriculum here there was always kind of, you know, curriculum exists whether we, we make it exist or not. It's whatever's taught. But actually, it was an opportunity to think, well, we could, we could build something pretty fantastic here. I'd never taught A-level before. Um, and, and the question that I posed to myself and the team at the start of last year well, was, what does an excellent geographer look like at 18? What, what are seven years of geographical study? What are you going to be able to do and I mean we we wrote swathes and swathes of paper and we're you know to be honest we're still cutting down and and, and tweaking and changing and bits come in and bits go out and um, but we just thought that well we we want to I, I want the kids to think that I'm just going to teach them from year seven to year 13 in my mind it's not a case of right you're coming to year nine now start thinking about your options you better be picking geography it's like well just you'll get more of this if you stay with geography you get more of this incredible knowledge and these incredible ideas and it's just trying to shift our quite traditional mindset that year seven, eight and nine are very much like, oh, they're still quite little. And they're kind of like, you know, these, these, these quite kind of gentle, kind little individuals. And in year 10 and 11, it's, oh, it's much more serious and important now. Well, you know, kind of we have a moral obligation to, to give the very, very best to our young people from year, age 11 through to age 18. So actually we kind of and I, I, I don't know if, if you'll be able to, but I've got bits and pieces I can share with you and these can go out along with it with the podcast and things. But just kind well, of, we can definitely do that, certainly. Oh, so yes, amazing. anything to give us, that would be great. Yeah, brilliant. And it's just actually because when you kind of look at our kind of our seven-year plan, you'll notice that that kind of the inquiry questions sort of all start to bleed together. So in year seven, we have quite distinctive inquiry questions where kind of we start with a well, we st we start with a why is our world amazing topic, and we we really kind of introduce the students to the literacy of geography and kind of help them read the subject and understand the themes but then we go in and we look at uh, how are ecosystems different we consider why is there a development gap and these sort of quite quite distinct areas of geography and and as we start to progress into into year eight into year nine well we start to think about bigger questions how am i linked to climate change why is the middle east middle east geographically important and actually they start to thread together these ideas and, and, and concepts and we kind of thought, well, you know, they get to year 10 and we've kind of year 11 and we've made our GCSE topic choices. But we thought, well, actually, you know what? Lots of these topics they've done some great work on already. That Why not just kind of continue that and say, well, when we're teaching them rivers in, in year 10 or in year 11, as it is on our curriculum plan now, we'll be like, well, do you remember in year eight when we did that local uh, river study and we went and looked at the at the river Calder and we, and we considered that the management and the use of that, well, all those themes are still the same now, but we're going to look at a different river. And, and actually, I'd, I'd like to think if you came in and watched our geography team teach, the way we teach our year sevens is almost exactly the same as the way we teach our year thirteens. We're, we're, we're telling them a geographical story. We're helping them to, to, to understand and, and to develop their understanding of the world that's, that's around them. So I think we were very, very passionate about this idea that 
we didn't want it to be two like three distinct phases key stage three key stage four key stage five we just wanted to just build just incredible geography throughout and you know what we're still working on that and and now that this is the first year of properly implementing it you know you see the cracks and my word they look like chasms and you're like oh how do we miss that and but you know that that's the joy isn't it and that's that's why you reflect and, and actually you take the time with your colleagues and and and, and the greatest geography staff room in the world on Twitter and you, and you kind of reach out and have those conversations with people on there. So yeah, we, we've got lots to share and, and we, you know, we're always learning and, and always looking to do better. Well, every year it needs to reconsider. Otherwise you'd still be doing the, um, well, you'd still be doing Mount St. Helens, wouldn't you? <laughs> As, uh... <laughs> Good point. Good point. There's an article that I was reading by Alex Standish. I, I don't know if you've seen it yet. It's in the recent geography journal and the question he poses is why geography needs to change to stop students leaving school with an outdated worldview. And I read that and it made me stop and think, is that where we are? Is that what I've seen most recently? Do you use those sorts of checks as you're going through? Is that where you found the chasms? Oh, absolutely. And it's kind of, yeah, I'm a huge fan of Alex Standish and, and, and yet another one of those people, you, you, you know, you kind of follow and you listen to and you just think, my goodness gracious me, if I ever knew half as, half as much as, as you do about geography and education, I'd, I'd be doing OK. You know, um, no, and I, and I've, I've read the piece that, that, you, that you're referring to. And I, and I think actually, you know, I took it into the, the geography team and said, guys, why are we not using Rosling's four income levels? Why are we still saying, oh, that's a HIC, that's it. I mean, it's better than an MEDC and an LEDC. But again, it's, we're giving kids quite a blunt worldview here that either you're in that country over there, which is HIC, or in that one over there, which is LIC, and they've got no water and no food, and it's all complete naff. And actually, you know, it needs to be more sophisticated than that. And, you know, the team are currently gearing up to teach the, is there a development gap? Uh, topic with year seven and we've kind of been desperately scrambling to to shuffle and, and re replan and rework a few bits and pieces and and, and you know what though those, those are the parts of my week that, that i'm very very privileged as i say in the role that i have now but when i can get down and uh, get down and involved in some geography i, I you know that you come back alive with it all then uh, absolutely i think i think every the points alex makes in his piece are, are, are absolutely absolutely right and, and something that we just need to constantly check ourselves. You know, there's, there's some really brilliant work being done in geography at the moment, you know, the emergence of kind of decolonizing geography and, and, and kind of actually taking a moment to step back and kind of reflect on our own position within our teaching. And, and it's not something to my shame that I thought a great deal of previously and, and actually colleagues on Twitter and just kind of reading the geography journals and you really start to realize that curriculum making is, is complicated and, and you're never quite going to have it right but the more you stop and reflect and you think and you, and you question and you challenge I think we're going to you know we're doing an okay job. Can I ask you now what what are the, the key concepts then that underpin I want to ask you about progression as well but I want to ask you about the concepts first because I, when I was looking at this first of all I, I thought this is a bit of a nightmare we had the magnificent seven for the action plan the magnificent second concepts, but I I looked at several different writers, including Liz Taylor, and they all have a different take on which concepts they're going to reflect on: place and space and scale, and David Hicks's time, I suppose, underpin all of them. But Absolutely. which which have you gone with? So 
we're very fortunate um, being part of a large multi-academy trust that, that we have the privilege of working with uh, what are known as subject directors who are kind of, they sort of essentially act as floating heads of department and they work with multiple schools and they kind of lead the development of a subject across the trust. Um, so actually as a team, we kind of get a lot of kind of the initial kind of hard thinking from them, which is, which is great. And then we kind of begin to translate it and work it into a curriculum. And um, so kind of the, 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 the concepts that underpin the geography curriculum that we have developed are uh, sustainability, uh, development, physical processes, human and physical interactions and climate change. And, you know, like, like you say, the, the kind of you, you, you see other people's curriculums and you see other people's ideas and you read about concepts and that it comes again to that breadth of geography, doesn't it? And, and actually just making those selections, oh, my word, for us, kind of sustainability and climate change didn't really fe feature in draft one whenever that kind of would have been made. Like, you know, we were thinking hard about this two or three years ago. And actually, as we progressed through that, that thinking, we thought, well, these are kind of becoming the defining issues of, of, of this time. You know, the, the emergence of the Anthropocene and, and, and the undoubted science around, around the climate crisis. And actually, we felt that this needed to be reflected in, in our curriculum. And, and actually, because lots of these themes underpin much of the geography and the way that our young people will internalize and interpret that geography so yeah there, there are five key themes but I'm, I'm sure if you know we dug out the curriculum documents every word you've mentioned there would have been thrown around at some point and no doubt we built it in here yeah I'm going to put an even harder question to you then uh, <laughs> <laughs> while I was at the GA I did some work with um, with David Gardner and then uh, he then went on to write a, or edit a book called Progress in Geography. And we were looking for progression. I was just following in his coattails because he was the one who was doing all the work. Uh, so he's thought really long and hard about this, but we really struggled to find any evidence of progression. And when, when he was editing this book and putting it together, it was a, it was a nightmare in the, in, in the nicest possible way because I had to keep redoing bits because David was looking and said, oh, that, that, well, that there, isn't that there isn't any progression there. That you've not, oh, okay. And it was a, it, it was a labor of love in the end. And I, but it was rock hard. So how have you tackled progression? I think, you, you know, by, by listening to, to you talk about your work there, John, you, you kind of, you know, you've preempted Her Majesty's Inspectorate by a few years. We know that progress has kind of come through to be the big buzzword, you know, with, with, with kind of Ofsted and, and curriculum. But no, I think you're right. The kind of nailing down really a definition of, of what we mean by progress is, has proven pretty tricky. And it's another thing that I've kind of been guilty of perhaps in some ways over-intellectualizing a little bit. And, and actually we kind of stepped back and we we've really kind of, taken progress to mean just that the students are accumulating more knowledge and that they're able to do more with it they're able to, to pose more arguments or unpick more debates or or to kind of just essentially think more deeply about significant geographical issues you know this is kind of partly why we've gone for our inquiry questions approach at, at key stage three key stage four key stage five by posing questions we can always kind of turn every lesson on the question to take our development gap um, topics well why is there a development gap at the start of the topic our students some of them come with absolutely buckets of prior knowledge and, and could already you know what do a pretty good job of answering that but the majority of them would be like well i'm not even really clear what a development gap is 
two or three lessons into the topic, they start to say, okay, well, well, the development gap, okay, and they can start to flesh out, well, what does that actually mean? And by the end of the topic, you, you're very, very strongest students. Uh, well, they're able to tell you a story and they're able to tell you relevant geography as to well, why this exists and start to evaluate and to weigh up. So progression for us in geography has come to mean, well, that they know more, um, but also that they can do more with that knowledge because it's one thing to give students lists of facts and they can just kind of regurgitate that. If we don't help them to, to kind of to, to use and, and to play and to move and to, to shift and to, and to interrogate that knowledge, then we're doing the students a disservice because actually development runs through, through everything we teach. You know, we come to key stage five and we consider the impact of globalization on, on development. And that becomes a much more sophisticated conversation than you have with the year sevens. But again, that's, that's only possible. We're hoping for this batch of year sevens in 2027. That's quite a frightening thing to say. But when they're in year 13, they'll be like, ah, oh, you know what? I can remember you've been talking about development to me, sir, for seven years. And, and now I've, I've, got, I've done a lot of the hard thinking. I'm ready now to, to explore what it looks like in the world at the moment. So, yeah, I think progression for us is that, is that accumulation of knowledge, but, but also that the ability to, to use it and to interrogate it, I think is absolutely at the heart of, of what makes great geography. So do you map it? Is it, is it mapped? So if, if, somebody, if you shared this, as you said you would, could somebody else see, see where you've mapped that progression in? This is where we return to this and we check to see whether they've made that progress. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so we, we kind of, we started very much with the kind of, um, they were very in fashion on Twitter and now they've gone a little bit out of fashion, the roadmap. Um, we started with the roadmap to kind of map out the idea of the curriculum um, which kind of sets our inquiry questions and then we delve a little deeper and we look at the kind of the schemes of learning and you kind of consider the, well, what are they, what's the key knowledge there? And, and you'll start to realise that, particularly in year eight and nine, that actually when we go on to our year nine topic of why is the Middle East geographically important? Well, to effectively engage in those lessons, our young people need to draw quite heavily on their knowledge of ecosystems, on their knowledge of the of development and the cause of development on their knowledge of of weather and climate of their knowledge of of resources around the world and they're starting to pull these ideas together yeah so yeah we we, we've got best intentions i assure you but it's all mapped and ready to rock and roll and (laughs) of course the lived reality is is no doubt not quite as perfect as the lovely spreadsheets we have but but no we we you know i feel like we, we are reflecting uh, that knowledge back through the curriculum we've we, you know we've been really clear about that it was something that uh, well I, we were involved in at our school when i first started i got a copy of norman graves's now is it called was it called teaching geography anyway the geographical handbook of the time <laughs> and they were talking about uh what were they spiral curricula and how geography should develop over time and you should keep referring back that was in i'm not even going to say that was in 1977 and the norman graves book i think probably came out in 1980 and there were some fantastic inquiries in there listen i'm going to ask you something really controversial now this is you might not even want to answer this one but (laughs) there's been a lot on twitter recently about about whether we should finally scrap gcses or not um and there have been one or two people who've been saying, well, it's a waste of time. They've got to go up till 
there's 17. Why bother? Why don't we have an exam at the end there? What do you? Th- what's your views on it at the moment? Now, I think if you'd have asked me that question about a year ago, I'd probably have turned around and said, no, they're, they're great. Let's keep them. Let's rock and roll. And as we've kind of seen in light of the last year in education, which is which is really kind of thrown everything that we kind of ever thought was normal out of the window. Now, we know the issues that, that happen with teacher assessment and we know the issues that, that came to pass with, with centre assess grades. Um, but strangely, the, the last year for me has kind of been, in many ways, one of the most freeing years of my career. When it was announced that GCSE exams would not be sat, and, and obviously our immediate thinking shifted to, well, what are we going to do about students' grades and what are we going to do about next steps? And, 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 and rightfully, those questions are very important. But actually, it gave me the headspace and the time to think, well, my kids have done, they've got some amazing stuff. They're leaving with some really rich, powerful knowledge here. And whether they get that on a GCSE certificate or not, you know what? That has been a, a rich and an important experience for them. So actually, I think, I think there's, there's a conversation to have there, certainly around, around the idea of, of how we do assessment and, and, and why we just stick with it the way we always have done. I guess, um, you know, in, in the long term, the systems we have at the moment, GCSE exams are here to stay and, and I don't have a suitable alternative. So, you know, I'm, I'm happy to kind of work within the constraints of that. But as we've discussed this evening, actually, in many ways, we've kind of, planned our curriculum in spite of exams just inconveniently popping up at the end of five years and and just interfering with our teaching time and you know so actually i i really think that there could be better ways and 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 different ways of thinking about how we do actually do it because that question that we pose for our own curriculum plan what does a fantastic what does a brilliant uh, set like what does a brilliant geographer know at 18 and similar to the one you you posed earlier from the nuffield review well actually can you really test that in a conventional exam and, and perhaps do we need to do more to capture what it actually means to be a to be a brilliant geographer so i find myself in the last year going from being very very quite traditional on matters of exams and yes they're absolutely the right thing we have to almost do them in this way and it has to look like this to actually now being like well it's it's all kind of it's all up for grabs a little bit at the minute and and there you know there are some really fantastic brilliant voices in education and and it would be great to kind of see what the alternatives are so you know we we treat our teaching of geography as as i said as as the accumulation of knowledge and the ability to interpret and interrogate knowledge and and skills and and actually gcse grades and gcse exams don't figure massively in our thinking and i might potentially get absolutely shot down in 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 flames on twitter now and and, you know and and, and that's fine i'm used to it um but no i i think I think is a bold question to raise. And I think as a community of geographers and I think as an education community, it's a question we should ask ourselves. Are our assessments fit for purpose? And probably not. And if they're not, do we just stick with it or do we owe it to young people to do something different and something better? So I haven't really answered your question. I've just kind of given you a lot of kind of sidestepping of it really. Um, But no, no, I I think there's, I think there's a conversation to have there around, well, why do we do it this way and, and what else could it look like? I think that's right. I think there's a there's an open conversation to be had rather than a closed one. There's a bit of shouting at each other on Twitter at times. Mm. But and and I'm not so worried about um 
teacher assessment and the accuracy of it as some people are. I've, I've gone through systems where we've had CSEs where it was it was full of teacher assessment. I've done a certificate of uh, pre-vocational education, which a lot of that was teacher or college um, assessed rather than exams. Um, we had some real successes with our students who went on to do some great things, um, but didn't do conventional exams in the way that we've, we make them all do, you know. Um, and our A-level and GCSE was much more tied towards um, fieldwork anyway, was tied much more, more towards doing fieldwork rather than doing a fieldwork exam. Yes. Um, and, and it's about teaching it's about teaching geography well and about thinking of the topics that you want to teach that that fit in with your plan as you've talked about but also produce top quality geographers at the end of it all and you could choose five out of 20 and another school could have another different five out of 20 but the same decision making has gone on and you still produce quality geographers so i'm going to ask you then now what are your favorite topics what are your, your go-to topics this this is a this is a uh, what a question to ask a geographer. Um, if if you ask my students, they would tell you that every lesson I start with, oh my word, guys, today we are doing my favourite lesson, um, and they must be sick of hearing it now. Um, <laughs> and, um, you're a geography teacher, of course, yeah, that's what you say. Yeah, yes, this is what I have to say. Um, well, actually, um, as as I mentioned earlier, I've only kind of been teaching A level. This is my second year of teaching A level. Um, and to go back to my university days, um, I did my, I did a BA in geography, so very much kind of focused on the human side of things. So I always very much was kind of very into human topics and, and sort of really enjoyed the kind of almost the softer sort of nature of the geography involved there. But actually having taught A-level for the last two years, and I've kind of taken on the lead for A-level in the department this year, um, I, I've completely come round uh, to, to, to some physical geography topics. Um, water and carbon, I think, is an absolute cracker of a topic. I just think I just absolutely love the, the the idea of the kind of the themes you tackle in it, and actually these these kind of huge earth-defining cycles of of carbon and water, which completely control and shape life on Earth as we know it, um, and actually the way that we as humans kind of interact and interfere with that. So. You know, I can remember the first time I sat down to properly look at water and carbon as, as a topic and look at the spec. And I thought, well, this is this is God, this is dry, isn't it? My word. And actually, when you really get digging into it, you're like, there is some, some stellar, stellar geography on there. And um, so I'm a big, big fan of water and carbon. Um, I adore the uh, global atmospheric circulation model, um, which kind of which, which we feed into our weather topic and which kind of crops up periodically throughout. Because, again, I think that if you can understand the, the existence and the, the reasons for weather patterns around the world and so much geography starts to click, you start to think, hang on a second, that, that's Sahara Desert in North. And then you start to link it to development. And, you know, the, these kind of, so in, in many ways, actually, as, as much as I'll always kind of be a human geographer at heart, I think that understanding the natural processes and the natural cycles that exist in our world due to the lens of physical geography absolutely transforms my teaching of other topics it makes me so much better so I'm, I'm an absolute sucker really for kind of as i say for kind of anything with the weather um but the water and carbon cycle I, I adore teaching development i just i just think that is such a that is where you as a geography teacher you can really start to come alive um 
and, and actually you really dig down into, well, let's look at the hot, let's look at the world. Let's really start to unpick what life might be like around the world. And let's take off our, 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 our kind of rose tinted glasses and, and, and thinking that life's great everywhere. Or let's, or let's drop the lazy stereotypes of, oh, poor country's just rubbish, aren't they? And let's look at the richness and, and the culture and, and, and just the, 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 the wonderful differences that exist, that exist around the world. So, oh, I mean, like for me, it's just, just, just chuck me some geography and I'm, I'm ready to go. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm, I'm there. Count, count me in. I, I can't resist. If I'm on a learning walk and a geography lesson, I just find myself, I'm, I'm pulling up a chair. I'm having some of this. No, I just, I just, oh, I just adore it. I just love it. Yeah, well, that's that's you and me both. <laughs> yeah. But even though you've got a fantastic topic, it only comes alive when it's taught well. Um, now you've got oodles of enthusiasm, but teaching well, um, I have to say, I've gone, I've seen some desperate fads uh, as I've gone through. I've had Ofsted telling us that we have to do three-part lessons. Then they became four-part lessons. Then they became six-part lessons, and then you had to have a plenary and if you haven't got a plenary and all of that and and you had to have my in your mark book the visual the kinesthetic and the auditory learners you've talked you've talked about teaching well and you've talked about how you talked about the need for being precise and clear in your explanations as being one of the key things so you've got enthusiasm you've got a great topic but then you've got to make sure that you bring the students along with you. So how does that work for you? How You've talked about this, I think, about precise and clear explanations. So talk us through what that means. So kind of, as, as you'll be aware, we've seen an emergence in education. It kind of it seems to neatly, quite, quite neatly coincide with my own teaching career, kind of the emergence of sort of, of research-led practices. And I'm, I'm keen to stress research-led because I think I think teaching is a very human profession and I think that you can't ever lose sight of, of kind of a little bit of individualism in the way that you deliver and in the style in which you deliver. So absolutely engage with the research and then and translate into your practice. Um, but just kind of lots of the, the work that's happened around cognitive psychology and, and the ideas of kind of the working memory and the long-term memory. And, and actually what very often what we're introducing to our students is quite new to them and, and and we need to remind ourselves that we are very much the expert for us it's it's very easy we could just reel it off and and, and just expect the kids to come with us but actually i i'm really fortunate again this year we, we have a couple of trainee teachers who have joined our, our department and that is just such a humbling experience to be involved at someone's teaching career at the very very start of it um, and actually i typically find myself kind of giving them two key bits of feedback the first of which is, is around that clarity of explanation. And actually almost, I'm not an advocate for scripting lessons. I, I think there's, a, there's, there's, there's always space and room for kind of going off on a little tangent. But I think being really clear at all times with the students what it is that you are telling them. And almost for myself, that means kind of mapping out my lesson really clearly. At the end of the lesson, what do I want my students to know? What three or four key ideas do I want them to know? How am I going to articulate that to the students? Is it going to be me talking from the front? Are we reading the text together? But the clarity of, the, of, of, of your explanations is key. But also actually having great subject knowledge as well is, is kind of what we consistently seem to notice makes a difference with our training teachers. Those who, who come in and they absolutely 
embrace geography and they, and they go oh my word i've not taught that before but i'm going to go away and i'm going to make sure i dig up the this these articles i'm going to read this and that and they really start to think well i've got the ideas in my head and, and how am i now translating that to my young people how am i breaking down that information how am i sequencing it how am i how am i going to present that to them kind of piece by piece at a time i always think in this example of a, of a coast and i always think if if you know, you or I, John, were to, to go to the coast, we, we'd be absolutely in our element, so they're having a great time. And, and, and I always think, well, if we took an 11-year-old or we took a, took a secondary school student to the coast, well, what would they see? Would they see, oh, there's some potential slumping in, in, in the cliff face there or a bit, a bit of weathering has happened at the top there? And, and actually, you realise that you've got to be very, very kind of methodical in how you unpack this information. So when we, t- when we tackle uh, coasts as a landscape with our year sevens, we just kind of the first lesson is very much looking at a picture of a coastline and thinking, well, what do we already know? What, what ideas can we already see? And just gradually signposting them to some of the processes which have shaped the coast. We could just jump straight in there and be like, right, guys, erosion's happened there and weathering's happened there. And, and this is this type of wave and that's that type of wave and some slumping. And actually like, well, we're going to overwhelm them very quickly. And then we're going to switch them off. We just we just need to be very careful to give lots of thought to the to the to the structure and the sequence of geography. Geography is a wonderful subject to teach. It's so much of the knowledge and the ideas are foundational. When you understand the concept, you can you can bring it in elsewhere and you can build onto it. But if you're not thinking really carefully and and really hard about how you are breaking that down, then unfortunately you're going to lose quite a few students along the way. I think particularly with physical geography, because um, if you're not careful, it tends to be a, a tell them what they're looking at. So this is a glacial valley. Um, well, how do you know? And, and what's interesting, um, Barbara Kennedy's book on uh, the, the lectures that she did with her first year students at university looked at the, the misconception, well, they weren't misconceptions, they're the way that people looked at the landscape in the past. And so the glacial landscape didn't come about until much later on, they thought they were trying to explain it away with the flood, with all sorts of different types of explanations before they got around to the possibility of glaciation. We've got to be careful not to just tell students this is it. There's a whole thought, like you were saying, a whole set of thought processes before they get there. What do you think's going on here? Look at the size of that little stream down there. What's going on? And the same at the coast, because quite often the coastlines are relic. So you can find you, know, you can find a cliff and it's some distance away from the sea. What's happened there? You've also talked about this issue with the importance of being precise and clear in your explanations. Now that we really ought to get on to COVID, I suppose, and, and because that's made just a, an incredible change. I'm glad I didn't go through it. The worst I ever had was trying to think of what we would do when they, they introduced the national curriculum. You've, you and all the teachers at the moment have got such a a desperate issue to solve and I've done it wonderfully but it's changed your practice hasn't it oh with, with no doubt at all and um, I've always kind of been a little bit um what you might call chalk and talk um I, I if I don't have a whiteboard in my classroom it's an app you know it's a meltdown for me um I, I can remember kind of coming to my new school last year and be like my whiteboard's not big enough somebody's going to need to address that straight away for me get rid of this interactive thing give me a proper old-fashioned whiteboard come on um, so yeah, I've always kind of leaned towards being a little bit chalk and talk. Um, but then I've always 
being able to rely on well i can have a quick scoot around the classroom look over their shoulder and their shoulder and give them a quick nudge and say actually you know what that's not really a well-developed answer but actually this year it's all been a bit i'll kind of crane my neck as far as i can and i don't have a very long neck so i can't see too far to the back of the classroom so it's actually made me in many ways it's it's been it's been good for my practice and it's and it's put me kind of back out of my comfort zone a little bit and, and made me think well am i working hard enough to to, to really check for understanding with my students. And I've kind of thought about different ways that I'm doing that now. And, and, and I'm finding that I'm stopping and being much more methodical with sharing my thinking about where we should be. You know, I might communicate to my students, right, we've covered this idea and this idea. So we should now actually have an understanding of this. So can you all now please have a go at doing this? And, and you're going to feed that back to your partner and you're going to we're going to look at it under the visualizer together. We're going to pick some people and ask them to come up and share it with us. And it's just made me almost just slow down a little bit and, and really think about just planning very carefully for checking what my students are thinking about. So lots of more multiple choice questions and lots more kind of work on a whiteboard. Things that, you know, many teachers far better than me have, have written extensively about and I've always just kind of scoffed at almost and thought well, you know I don't I don't do that and now this year confronted with the reality of it I'm like oh oh yeah actually that they they, they did know what they were talking about it's not not a bad idea that um so it, it, it's absolutely shifted shifted my approach to teaching in many ways and but they're, they're you know that's no bad thing it's 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 important and and and, and powerful for us to regularly reflect on on what it is that we're doing and and, and what we're doing in the classroom day to day because if we're not modeling the standard that we're happy with and particularly in senior leadership when you teach quite a heavy timetable you're very aware that you feel you're under the spotlight people might just bring someone and say oh just 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 watch tom for a bit he'll, he'll do a great job and you're like oh my god right guys we better step this up a little bit here and we um but no the, the the situation with covid is 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 really kind of forced me to think very very carefully about those kind of those fundamentals of good teaching am i questioning well Am I checking for understanding? Are my lessons planned and sequenced properly? Am I modelling my thinking to my students clearly? Am I, am I helping them to, to see the links and, and to see the developing geography that, that we're teaching them? So, yeah, really, really radical changes for me. But, but changes that I think have made me better. I think modelling is really important. We've, we looked at that when we were doing critical thinking for geography, but we did it through flat chat and different examples where the, we might put a question on a sheet of A4, the students then interrogate the question, but in silence, so that they'll make a call out. This is not a full mark because, and they'll add their little bits and then students can add comments to the comments. So that you build a, a, a four out of eight into an eight out of eight, but the students do it collectively as they go on. And so this idea of modeling, I think is a really good one. And not one that, I think I'd have used very effectively when I was teaching it. Uh, but multiple choices I did, except now they're called hinge questions. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Everything comes back around with a different name, doesn't it? <laughs> and uh, I've, I've been um, busily c collecting them for Worldwise this year. So there's quite oh, a few uh, multiple choice questions on, on Worldwise for this year. So I hope, uh, I hope there are plenty of teachers who are still able to use it despite the lockdown. I'm going to ask you one last big question. Okay. And it's, um, it's one that we, we've touched on on a couple of other podcasts, actually, but it's, it's about teaching controversial issues. 
and what challenges you think there that poses for you and how you've got around that. I've come across some schools that have not really wanted to do controversial issues, if it, particularly if it's being directly related to some of the students that they've got in. So how, how do you deal with that and how do you get around it? I think kind of the, the, the challenges that are largely around two things. Kind of firstly, I think confidence. And I think you kind of touched on it quite clearly there. Kind of, am I, am I confident enough to stand in front of this group of students knowing that I'm talking about issue X and potentially student over there may, you know, may be implicated some way in that, in that issue. So kind of confidence and also knowledge, actually. Are, are we confident as teachers that we, that we understand the ins and outs of, of some of the controversial topics of, of, with, with which we're dealing and um, so I think there is a tendency sometimes to just kind of to shy away from some of these some of these trippy, tricky topics. So particularly at the moment, to kind of take an example, kind of with the ongoing sort of migrant crisis. And, and, and I've kind of with my year 13s this week, we kind of interrogated the language that came around that of this idea of well, we say migrant crisis. So actually, is that the right thing to say? Because now we're just implying that, that the migrants are creating a crisis. And, you know, we thought very hard and carefully. But actually, in preparing for that, and I mean, it was a 10 or 15 minute discussion with my in the year 13s, but, but in preparing for that, I knew that I had to make sure I had to put the groundwork in myself and, and actually make sure that I was reading widely around kind of, of ongoing migration patterns and, and kind of what the stories are behind the migration pattern, but, you know, and, and actually find out a little bit more. So I think when you come to teach controversial issues, you, you've, you've got to, you've got to realize there's a, there's a, there's an expectation that you know your stuff and, and, if we're going to pontificate on this in the classroom, then we need to make sure that what we're saying is, is right and, and, and is giving the students the, the best information. You know, we, we're all fully aware now of what we mean by the idea of fake news and, and kind of the, the implications that that particularly at this moment seems to be having. Um, I'd like to think, though, that as geographers, we are very much at the forefront of teaching controversial issues. You know, students can come into our classrooms and, and, and say, oh, sir, that, you know, this happened and, over the weekend and kind of we heard about the earthquake that happened in Turkey in, in, in the previous weekend. And, and actually, we, we, in many ways, we have a duty to our students to, to help them unpack what these issues actually mean, you know, because kind of, and, and sort of the, the, the super typhoon that happened in, in the Philippines had sort of over the weekend as well. There's another one that if we just, if I didn't interrogate the images and the language that was used with that with my students, They'd go away thinking that the Philippines is this desperately poor country that just gets this horrific weather. And that's kind of it. And, and I've kind of softened my position here a little bit. I wrote quite an inflammatory blog uh, a few years back about uh, geography and the news and how I was like, no, not for me. It's, it's awful and bad and good. And I have a curriculum and it's really important. I follow that. And actually, you know what? I think I was wrong. And I think actually that I need to be brave enough when students come in and say, oh, sir, I, I saw this and, I know we're doing a lesson today on, oh, I don't know, kind of the formation of a hurricane, but this earthquake happened. Can you tell me about it? I'm like, well, yeah, you know what? I can. I can take ten minutes out and I can and I can unpack that with you because because I, it's important that that your understanding of that is is a little more nuanced and is a little more considered. So I'm very very firmly in the camp of we absolutely have got to teach those tricky topics and those tricky questions and. And we've got to help each other and we've got to reach out and support the community and support our fellow teachers in doing that. But, you know, t teaching is, is a great responsibility and, and we might be the only people that ever have that, that, that conversation with our young people. And it's, it's, a, it's a moral responsibility to do. It's, gosh, it's tricky and it's hard and, 
you know, COVID itself has thrown up some issues. We have students that that have told us, well, COVID's not real and I'm not, you know, I'm not wearing a mask and I'm not doing this. And and if I didn't confront that and 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 you know, I there's no way that I've changed their mind. They've gone away thinking what they think. And but I have a responsibility, I think, to 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 talk about that and to explore that issue more widely. So yeah, I, I think that absolutely we have to teach controversial issues and and we need to be brave enough as a community to say we know it's hard but let's help each other out with that well that uh, topical geography is uh, is one that twitter has been arguing over just recently hasn't it um, yeah absolutely jeff uh, jeff stanfield calls it floating topicality he says there should be space for floating topicality within your curriculum so you should always have that that space written in i'm going to ask you one last question we could go on all night. We could. But, uh, <laughs> I do want to ask you this last one because it's, it's all over Twitter again and, and it's now called retrieval practice. And I've just read a really interesting blog. Now, I'm not sh- I don't think it was David Didow. I, can't, I should have written it down. But it was really interesting on retrieval practice. And you've got problems with now trying to re- retrieve a practice pre-lockdown and what they remember and how, they, but but the whole issue of how we go about retrieving that knowledge uh, is it, really quite um, exercising a lot of minds at the moment. So what are you doing about that? Um, so yeah, I can kind of remember the first time I sort of, I, I kind of came across the, the idea of retrieval practice and, and kind of started to learn more about it. I, I kind of came up with these really quite convoluted ways of, of kind of doing it and i'd be like well i'm going to plan a, a 15 question quiz and there's going to be three questions from that topic and three questions and i was like hang on a minute. I'm, I'm, I'm creating myself an awful lot of work and i'm not actually sure i'm having a very good impact here so actually we we take perhaps a little more simple approach to retrieval practice really um and the, the beauty of geography is that it lends itself across topics so neatly so in a lesson today um with my year 11s um, we've been exploring um, the River Tees uh, up in the northeast and, and, and kind of how that changes and the landforms that it creates along the way um, and, and we started to have a look at we got to Middlesbrough and we got to sort of the, the, the Tees and um, steel yard down there and then we just got on we were like well hang on a second guys we're talking about deindustrialization here and then we just started I was like well you know where that fits in that fits in in your paper too and we pulled in some themes from there so actually I think I think really we do retrieval formally as well. We, we kind of have a quiz book that they start every lesson with and we've kind of pre-planned the series of, of kind of, of, of quizzes. They're all 10 questions. They're generally multiple choice. And we start our lessons with that. It's just part of our routine. But also we've, we've realised that retrieval lends itself quite neatly in other ways too. And so as a team, we'll often get together and talk about our lessons for the next couple of weeks or the week ahead. And, and one of the questions our, our head of department asks is, is well, where's the retrieval in that topic? You know, so if you, if I didn't, if, if we hadn't had that conversation, I don't think I'd have even clocked the, the river tees and the deindustrializing areas of Middlesbrough and, and thought, oh, changing economic world. So actually really kind of retrieval is coming from that, like that curriculum planning again, and that, that shared kind of those conversations in the lessons and, and realizing that the opportunities to, to, to retrieve and to, and to consolidate knowledge exist everywhere. You know, it's, it's, it's a wonderful opportunity. So we, yeah, we definitely do. And again, I've got lots of examples to share with the kind of things we use, our kind of quiz books and our, and our more formal retrieval quizzes. But actually we, we take a little bit of a kind of, of a more laid back approach and just kind of 
we just let the geography bleed in it just bleed across the, the topics you know it all just kind of it all fits in somewhere that's what i keep telling my kids i'm like well don't you worry this will pop up in another topic soon i guarantee we'll find it but that helps them develop their mental model, doesn't it? So they're carrying a model in their head as well. It's not just what's on paper. In fact, for most of my students, what was on paper didn't matter. Really. They, they could have filled in a, a text, an exercise book. But by the time we got to the exam, I'd, I'd, I was giving them exam revision notes because yeah. they, they, they were more useful. It's, it's building that in your head, I think, as you go, Absolutely. which is the, 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 the best bit. For that, yeah. I, I'm, well, I'm pleased you can you can share that too. I think people find that really interesting. Yeah, brilliant. Happy to share. As I say, you know, we we we're really proud of what we've done so far, um, but we're very very aware as well that it absolutely could be better. So if people do want it, grab it, take it, take take a hatchet to it, and tell us how we can be a little bit better. You know, we're always up for improving. Well, yeah, and uh, the, the geography community is a really good one for sharing. Sharing and commenting, sometimes criticising, over-criticising, but generally, generally very positive. Very, uh, it's, it's a nice, warm group of, uh, of teachers. It's always worthwhile being involved with a, a set of geography teachers. Uh, in fact, I, I've, I've quite often just feel a little bit um, sorry for teachers of other subjects. Oh, when absolutely. <laughs> when they've got in set days and they've got to go and sit with all those others, they all really want to come and sit with the geographers. Wow. it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today and, and um, you've given us some fantastic ideas you've given me some fantastic ideas and I just can't put them into practice anymore because I don't wander off into the classroom but thank you very much that's been a real pleasure oh John thank you so much and it, you know and I'll, I'll keep making sure to catch up on all the jog pods but no thank you so much it's an absolute joy to talk about geography really really appreciate it thank you Oxford University Press provides a wide range of resources so that you have everything you need to support your teaching of geography. Student books and digital resources on Caboodle blend expertly, helping you to create a coherent curriculum and connect learning in school and at home. Accessible and exciting courses range from Key Stage 3 through to A-Level and include schemes of work and built-in assessment to save you time. Meanwhile, our best-selling revision guides and workbooks support students to consolidate learning throughout the year. Visit www.oxfordsecondary.com forward slash geography to find out more. <laughs>